This is the I Went Down to the River podcast. I'm Dan Walton, and I will sit down with fellow alums and talk about what it meant to be a part of the Hawken football program and wear the wings. We share stories of friendship, memorable games, funny moments, and how football made us who we are. You don't need to be on a bus for these tangs. Now let's go down to the river. I'm looking forward to today's trip down to the river. Our guest played quarterback and safety during his high school time. He was elected captain by his teammates and has his name in the top 10 record book for a variety of quarterback stats, as well as defensive interceptions in a season and career. He also had accomplished careers in basketball and baseball. He currently teaches math to our high schoolers and is the varsity baseball coach. His jersey number is 16 in the program. Please welcome class of 85, 86 academically, Aaron Brandt. Aaron, thanks for joining us today. Oh, thank you, Dan. I appreciate it. I look forward to uh, going down to the river, as you said. So before we get into some of these stories, um, I was thinking as I was preparing for this, um, you're like a Hawken football bingo card because, <laughs> because your touch points begin as a coach's son then continue to being a player, being a varsity and a middle school coach, being the varsity statistician, and then being a parent of a varsity player as well as a youth player. So talk to that for a second, because I thought, you know, I was a coach's son, I played and then I've coached for a while, but you got a couple more checkpoints on that bingo card. So start off with that. I imagine that, you know, as we talk about our earliest memory for the football program, that uh, there'll be a little overlap there. So what is your earliest memory? So, you know, there's, there's a ton of early memories from the, the mid seventies when I was a primary student at Hawken running around at, at two a days or, or uh, hanging on the sidelines as my dad was coaching. Um, it, the the first like game action memory that that popped into my mind, I believe it was 1975. Uh, Bill Talley hitting Bob Grease on a streak pattern, what we used to call a streak. I don't think everybody has a different name for it now, but we called it a streak in '85. Um, and then riding home with my dad afterwards, and like yeah, that wasn't even the play that was called, and that was my first like introduction to the fact that kids audibled sometimes and Bob Grease and Bill Talley had such a, a like connection that Grease apparently went to the line and gave some little high sign that he could run by the university school DB and Talley just threw it up six points. That's awesome. Yeah yeah. So let's uh, let's spend a moment and talk about what it was like to be the son of a coach um, and growing up around the program. Uh, your dad, Frank, was varsity head coach for three years, 66 through 68, was an assistant for the varsity program, and then was also one of the freshman coaches for many years. Um, what, did, what did that mean to you? And what did that look like from a um, year by year kind of growing up with the program? Well, I was extremely fortunate um my dad really uh he never pushed anything on us but he really 
exposed us to it. Uh, it even if we weren't going to two-a-day practices, we were going to go to the high school when he was going to practice. And there were times when, uh, like when he was on uh, Coach Spicer's staff, and the Spicers actually lived on campus, there were times that the Spicer family and the Brant family went and explored the woods for two hours. <laughs> we didn't actually go out to the field, and we would come see him at the end of the day. But 90% of the time, we were hanging on the side of the field. We were playing catch with the football. We were. I also have a, an early memory of uh, walking on the sideline during practice. My dad was running the offensive group, and they ran a play called Belly. And I think every coach in history has run the belly play. But as like a six or seven-year-old, I thought it was hilarious. They were running a play called belly. <laughs> so they ran it. And then a couple of plays later, my dad was kind of being goofy. And he's like, hey, Aaron, what play should we run next? I was like, dad, I think I like that belly play. Go back to that. <laughs> <laughs> so I think he, he kind of exposed us to it without pushing it. Um, he involved us, as has often been the case, I think, throughout uh, the history of Hawking football. It's, it's that family atmosphere, um, whether your dad's coach or whether your brother's on the team or whether you're a father of one of the players. Um, you're always welcome in the Hawking football program and encouraged to be involved. Yeah, I can remember uh, specifically just every every day of two a days during the summer being up there with my brothers as well and trip McCracken yep. and uh probably not until much later realizing kind of how blessed I was for that opportunity and how fortunate and that not everyone got to do that not everyone got to be on the sidelines for high school football right. games and right um I remember years later i think there is i think there's been one hawking football game that i watched from the stands mm. and was not either Which on, one the, would that on the sidelines or in the press box that was um a game my freshman year i believe it was the last game of the season and i was not a part of the varsity program moving forward for that last game yeah. Um, and I remember watching it from up top because I did not make that decision to join for that week 10 contest against Berkshire. Yeah. That is, that is the only game I've ever watched um, sort of as a fan and not a player or coach or Man. kid. So I regret that. I regret that. I right. wish I would have joined up for uh, for that 10th 10th uh, week. Um, so the family, the family piece um, that that holds true to me and my brother so much because we were raised around the program. We were with all of these players who were much older than us, but were like older siblings to us. They, they were held in this high regard of, you know, almost superhero ish. Um, <laughs> and so when you talk about that family piece as a young kid, uh, that's, that's definitely powerful. Well, it, it, it came back. For me, in the, in the, obviously in the last few years, <clears throat> when Bill Talley was inducted in the Hall of Fame, yeah. I went up and talked to him for 20 minutes afterwards because he was that guy for me. He, when I was, I think he graduated, his senior year football might have been 75. Um, so that was probably, <clears throat> I was probably first or second grade. 
uh, just like you had said when I was there. Um, and, and I can vividly remember watching him play and being so impressed uh, with his skills. And then finding out later, I, I mean, as a, a young guy, I had no idea. He was a really bright guy, too. My dad was like, oh, yeah, he's going to Brown University. It's <laughs> like, where's Brown? What the heck's Brown? Why is he not going to Ohio State or playing football? He's like, well, he's just a smart kid. <laughs> um, and I, I think that was a big part of Hawk and football as well. We had a lot of guys that loved the game. But, and unlike you and I, maybe, we there were so many guys that were just able to walk away. It, for us, I think it was difficult to try and walk away from football and, and from being involved in Hawk and football because it was kind of in us. But we had, Hawk and football was so successful because of all the guys who were like, yeah, I'm going to do this for three or four years because my buddies are doing it and I want to be a part of this. But I got no plans to play in college football. I'm not worried about a D1 scholarship. I'm not worried about, I, I just want to be with my buddies. And we had great times because of that. Very well put. Um, I was talking to my dad recently and we were thinking about coming up with a list and we'd probably have to make it like a community effort because there are so many years and so many names, but thinking of all of the alums who have come back to coach at some point during their lives. And I know you were one of the first two along with John Christie, I believe. Um, so I think that at some point that's going to be a, a, a task that I'm going to, take on with some help of some others and see if we can't create that list and see, uh, you know, we have the list of who the captains were and who the old board winners were and who went on to play in college and things like that. But I think the um, alums who have come back to coach in some capacity, whether it's youth, middle school or varsity right. would be a really, right. a really interesting uh, list to put together. Off the top of the head, do you have any idea what that number would be? I would I would venture that it is high teens pushing 20. And that's you, that that is not counting players that sort of just came back for a couple like weeks. Couple, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But legitimately went through the season. Yeah. Would you count a guy like Al McCracken in that group? Probably. Yeah, when you said I would be yeah. one of the first, yeah. I was thinking, yeah, McCracken and I know Derek Slesh came back for help my dad on the freshman level for a year or two mm -hmm. before he left to go to Beechwood um, and then to Case. Yeah. Actually, to Benedictine and then to Case. Benny and then Case, yeah. I bet that I bet that list would get up into the 20s. Yeah. Easily. Yeah, that'd Easily. be kind of cool. All right, I got something to work on. <laughs> like you don't have enough to work on. Yeah, <laughs> right. So, Man, oh, by the way, off topic. Annalise says you guys might be getting a new puppy. How true is that? Or is that just out of Avery? <laughs> uh, no truth to that. That is not even in the planning stages. So that, that's third grade uh, chatter. That's what I figured. <laughs> so, so we were just talking about the family dynamic and the family aspect to the Hawkins football program. Um, I want to then 
sort of have you shift to your middle school and your high school career and talk about that family dynamic, but the relationship and the camaraderie formed with your teammates and uh, your classmates? So it was challenging, I would say, at, at the time that we played in the late 70s, early 80s. Uh, at the middle school, we had a great coach in Dave Code. Uh, coach Code. Yeah, very knowledgeable guy, but wasn't a guy that was like going to push us to the point where he was yelling at us. He was very calm. He knew how to deal with middle school age kids. Uh, Hawkins still had the required athletics in the middle school, so we never had trouble fielding a team. Uh, matter of fact, we still had separate seventh and eighth grade teams. So we had maybe 18 kids playing football. Now I look back at that list and there are some real suspects on that list. And I'm like, man, how, how did we uh, even get through games? And we didn't sometimes. We, uh, I remember once taking a shellacking from uh, Kirtland High School or Kirtland Middle School, 72 to nothing, where we had five or six kids get hurt in the first half and miraculously be okay by the end of the game. They just didn't want to play that game. Um, but we, we then came back the next year as ninth graders with uh, back when we still had a separate freshman team. And we struggled to get a full squad there. Um, we had probably 14 kids in uniform. Uh, it's funny right now, my uh, middle son Tanner's got, or my middle child Tanner, has a picture of our freshman football team on his wall in his room nice. uh, that we found recently in my dad's uh, stuff. And there's a lot of guys in there who you would have never thought were football players. Uh, Mo Gray was one of my tight ends on that team. And Ted Bryan played football as a freshman and then switched to soccer as a sophomore. Um, <clears throat> a lot, lot of great kids. We then dwindled down to six by my senior year. Uh, I think it went from 14 down to <clears throat> probably eight as sophomores and then seven. I know Michael Hickok stayed on a couple extra years, uh, but he didn't come back senior year. So we had just six of us senior year. Uh, Scott Hackenberg, Lee Kaplan, Rob Peskin, Artie Haynes, Kevin Slush, and myself. And it was a really quality crew, uh, guys who really enjoyed being on a team together. Um, a couple of real good ballplayers and their superstars uh, with Artie Haynes going on and signing to go play at Purdue. Uh, Kevin went and played in college for a year uh, before deciding he wanted to transfer to a big school and gave up football. Um, and even Lee Kaplan played uh, – at Wash U before he got uh, some knee injuries. Scott Hackenberg played lightweight football at West Point. Um, so it, everybody was involved. I think Rob Peskin didn't play football, but he went on and became a rugby guy. Uh, so I, that kind of carries on a little bit of that. For sure. So the fact that we all still kind of had that competitiveness in us that we wanted to, to keep playing. Um, although I think we all found that 
what we experienced when we left Hawking was different um, and did not stick with it. None of us played for all four years in, in college uh, just because it was a different experience and our expectations were too high. Uh, I remember this is a kind of an offhanded story, but my freshman year at Guilford College and our position coach just, he was a screamer. He yelled all the time. And I called my dad during summer two days. And I was like, dad, this is, this is different, man. This is, he's cursing at me. He's yelling at me. He's, he's, it's just not fun. And my dad told me basically, hey, stick it out, experience a different style. Not everybody's Cliff Walton. Um, you don't have that, those friends yet in that program to lean on either, but it starts with the coach and you got to work up a rapport with this coach and Cliff knew you so well and he had a different coaching style. Um, just not everybody's Cliff Walton. And I remember that, that advice and I stuck it out obviously for the rest of the year. Um, but it, it was just a different experience moving on. What a great message and lesson from your dad there. Um, because, you know, it's easy to just fall in line with what we're comfortable with or what we're used to. Sure. And uh, sort of the, uh, the experience and the lesson from sticking it out, not just it's different. So I'm going to walk away from it, but asking you to stay with it and give it a chance. So yep. Yep. That, that's nice. Um, so my next question will be, shifting back towards your first two years at the high school. And it's going to be asking who was an upperclassman that had an impact on you as a football player. Okay. So my freshman year, probably nobody. Uh, that class when I was a freshman, senior wise struggled. Mm -hmm. um, that was Chris Pike and Hall Kirkham. Greg Green, uh, a couple other guys in there who I'm not remembering off the top of my head. And they were good guys and all, but but they had a really tough season. Uh, they were following up uh, the 1981 team that had gone undefeated. So there were all these high expectations. Uh, the schedule got a little harder uh, and they, they struggled. They went two and seven. Uh, but the junior class that year, who were then the seniors when I was a sophomore, really great group. Um, Derek Slash, Jack Bresnicki, Wayne Lawrence and Mike Lawrence, uh, just guys that were really uh, interested in not setting themselves apart from the team. Uh, yeah, sure, there was still some some minor team hazing kind of stuff, but they all did it with kind of respect and a welcoming attitude to the program, not as a way to put you down. Um, three or four of those guys, Scotty Hamilton, uh, lived close by to where my brother and I grew up and we would get rides with them all the time. Uh, those are the days when parents still allowed, allowed their kids to ride in a car with somebody else. Um, so I got to know a lot of those guys very well. 
Um, and and to this day, whenever I see Derek Slash or Jack, saw Jack Bresnicki two years ago at Scott Hackenberg's wedding. Uh, nice. I hadn't seen Jack in 20 years probably. Uh, and it, it works both ways a little bit there because Jack's dad, uh, Jim Bresnicki, was a longtime Hawking uh, personality, I would say. He was the public address announcer at football games. He was my woodshop teacher. He taught my brother and sister Latin. Uh, and I really loved Brez. And, and so connecting with Jack again was, was really nice. Um, and like I said, Derek Slesh, I see him a lot through, through other avenues. Uh, when, when Kevin and I joined forces with Scott Hackenberg and Doc Caver and coached the rookie tackle program uh, when Lucas and, and, and uh, Sam Slesh were sixth graders. We uh, took them down to Case one day and they stayed for a Case football game where Derek now coaches. Uh, so that was, those, those kind of connections don't go away. No, they don't. They definitely carry on through the years. Um, before we get into maybe some of the specific memories of your senior year, uh, you had the privilege to be a part of a streak that our football program had. Uh, started in 84 and came to an end in 87, where we had 29 consecutive wins. And as your senior year started, we'll get to that, but it was a 10-0 season. So definitely in the heart of that streak, uh, you were responsible for it. Um, I imagine you really didn't have much of an idea during it. Is that correct? That it wasn't like, hey, guys, we got 15 in a row now. We got 17 in a <laughs> row. That that was not the type of, shall we say, perfume that was being spread throughout the uh, right. facility or on the field. Correct. That, that's definitely correct. The, I was in the – I didn't even realize the number of consecutive. I was in the early parts of that, obviously. Uh, my junior year, we lost – game eight, I think, week eight, um, and then one week nine and 10. So the last two weeks of, of my junior year and then 10 weeks of my senior year. So I was only through 12 games of it. True. Uh, and then the rest of the crew uh, picked up the last 17 of what you're saying was 29. I would actually go back two years and, and say in my three years, we had two losses. Uh, one to Warrensville. Um, no, wait a minute. Yeah, right, Warrensville. Actually, I'm drawing a blank, Dan. You might have to help me. <laughs> My sophomore year, we lost to – we had a, a loss and a tie. And I can't remember whether the tie was Warrensville or the loss was Warrensville. I know it was 6-6. Six to six. I see you checking your notes real quick. <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to be able to find that specific for you. We um, went seven, one, the, and one that year. Seven, one, and one that 83 year, and then nine and one that 84 year. And nine and one the next year. And I know uh, my sophomore year, the loss was not against university school because we lost to them my junior year. And that was my only loss to them. It might have been WRA, one of those 
crazy WRA games. Um, I think I remember a early '80s tie with Harvey. I don't know if that's. So maybe our tie was against Harvey. Yeah. I think you're right. We might have lost to Warrensville and tied Harvey. Um, I know my junior year against Painesville, Harvey was like one of the greatest games ever. Played on a Thursday afternoon uh, because of the holidays. And it was just a, a tremendous game. We won six to three defensive battle. Um, but anyways, the uh, as far as the streak, um, so I had 10 games there of the first 12 and, and actually the, the last two of my junior year when I was starting on defense. Um, so yeah, I, I, I would not have had any real connection with, Hey, it's a streak. The connection obviously more for me was, Hey, we, we just had an undefeated season. Yeah. And by the way, how bad is it that we didn't make the playoffs? We were, well, that was so going to be one of the things we were going to unfortunately have to talk about because <laughs> I know that that's got to just uh, stick in your side to go 10-0 and 0 and yet not qualify for the postseason because of rules that are in place by the state and how many they would allow in. Yeah. Um, well, like I said, I, I would even go back two years. Um, the, my sophomore year when we were 7-1-1, one, and one, we didn't have a game 10. And we still practiced for two weeks, trying to wait it out to see whether we would make the playoffs. And not many people realize, but my sophomore and junior year, they only took two teams from each region. Two from the region. And then my senior year, they actually increased it to four. So we were all excited. We were like, yeah, we're going to make it. And we finished fifth. It was like... <laughs> No, we couldn't win. It was, we were real close sophomore and junior year when it was only two. I think we finished third or fourth both of those years. Then they increased it to four and we finished out of the top four even. That'll be a common discussion with some of the earlier 80s players is how, uh, how tough that is that the state would only take that few of teams into the postseason, yeah. And yet yeah. virtually every other state sanctioned sport, everyone qualifies right. regar regardless of season. Right. So, and what's it up to now? Eight. Uh, it is eight, but there is an escalator that's coming too. at. Yeah. And then there's going to be another escalator that I believe goes to 12, obviously oh, this man. past season's um, COVID protocols and whatnot. Uh, Put that on the back burner and everyone qualified this year but and i'm i'm not my memory isn't that good i don't remember whether we were still three divisions in 85 or whether we were four it might not have even been divisions it might have been class at that point one two know, a three a four i know we weren't i know we weren't single a double a triple a okay that had gone by the wayside okay when the computer system started which i think might have been like uh 82 83. Okay. Maybe. All right. Interesting. Um, so let's get into um, a little bit of a uh, discussion of that season, that 85 season that goes 10 and 0, um, one of only five undefeated seasons in the history of the program. Um, take us through whether you want to go 
week by week with a quick uh, memory, or if you want to <laughs> sort of just pick out a couple of the uh, the highlights that really stick with you closely. So what I remember first going into senior year was your dad really tried to beef up our schedule. He was upset about the two previous years with the uh, issues that we had had with the playoffs. So right out of the gates, he added Richmond Heights, who was a traditional football power, small school power. And we caught him in their first game of a historic, like, 40-game losing streak. That was right when they transitioned away from that historic power you were talking yes, about. Yeah. Yes. So we had added them as our opening game. We show up, and I, I think it was like 48 to nothing, uh, and they were just not very good. Uh, week two, we went out to Newberry, who, again, was a, a, a small school team that was never great, but they always were tough, competitive. And we had a battle at the beginning. Um, this is a little bit fresh in my mind because I was just reading Mel Jones's book and he recounted that game to some good detail where we had a tight battle going on and OJ had not played much in the first game against Richmond Heights because he had come into uh, summer practices late after being in a summer baseball. Uh, so he didn't get to play much in the first game. And in the second game, we started to use him a bit more. And we threw a streak pattern down the right sideline for a 66-yard touchdown that kind of broke that game open. And we ended up winning pretty handily again. Uh, and then we had, like, I think we played Grand Valley next uh, and then followed that up with um, week four might have been Oh, how am I not remembering? There's a Warren the Champion mixed in there somewhere in the middle. Yeah, Warren Champion, I know, was week five. Five, okay. Independence was week three. And Artie and, and OJ both went off. Both scored three touchdowns that game. Um, and then week four was the Grand Valley game, which it was another similar battle to, to Newberry, uh, a tough team that we were much better than, but it took a quarter or two to get rolling. Then we went out to Warren Champion on a Friday night, and they were like the fourth-ranked team in the state. We were like the sixth-ranked team in the state. And we had a really, really tough battle with them. Uh, back and forth in the first half. First quarter, we had a couple turnovers in the first quarter, and I believe we were losing going into the second quarter but we really poured it on in the second quarter. Uh, went up like 36 to 12 by halftime and nobody scored in the second half. The game ended 36 to 12, if I'm not mistaken. <clears throat> that was a really fun game. Uh, it was also for me, I, I'll highlight the uh, our trainer at the time, Sandy. Uh, I, I, on the, the walk through practice on Thursday, we were running a sprint pass right. And I stepped on the side of Artie's foot oh. and rolled my ankle. And that thing was ballooned up. It's also back in the day. And 
this is this is really going to sound bad. The trainer wasn't out at the field. There was no golf cart out at the field. And I think it was just your dad, Gary and Merle, and they were running practice. I walked from the football field <laughs> on a sprained ankle. That's not a short walk. No, no. I wasn't hey, I wasn't running the road there either. And yeah. I got in there and she immediately went to work on it. And even in pregame the next night at Warren, I didn't know whether we were going to play, um, whether she was going to let me play. And she taped that thing up. It was, felt like a cast on my ankle. And I played the game. And I had a really nice game and was, was happy to have uh, been part of that big win. Uh, unfortunately, Warren Champion went on to struggle after that. And so they didn't help us much with the playoff points. That was a uh, four touchdown pass performance, by the way, that uh, you did not mention that Warren Champion game. So. Yeah, it was, uh, as your dad would say, <laughs> that got me to be the perfume boy of the week. <laughs> um, I, I did get still up in the attic of my house here. I've got the plain dealer from player of the week that week. And, and, but to be honest, I look at that now and, I was playing dealer player of the week for 212 yards. And that's like an average day on the, in the game. Now these quarterbacks now are thrown for 250, 300 every week. It seems like, um, but yeah, it was a nice game. It helps to, to, we, I, I vividly remember we saw something in the Warren champion defense <clears throat> where they were not adjusting well to the slot back motion out of the run and shoot. So I hit Kevin twice on the motion and he went up the sidelines for touchdowns. I hit OJ uh, about, we we're running a two minute drill and we hit, your dad lo- used to love to just run outs, just go right down the field, running the out. I hit OJ probably five outs in a row. And then the guy, the cornerback bit and we always had it in the playbook. If the quarterback sees that guy bite, just give a little pump fake. OJ went up the sideline, another touchdown. When we were running our run and shoot scheme, um, there's no better first play of the game than running that long motion across the formation to see what they're going to yep. do. And that information that you are going to use for not just the rest of that drive, but the rest of yep. that half until they decide what they're going to do to try to counter it and no doubt and how they're going to defend it. And there were, many years where the slot going in motion would be on the receiving end of that quick snap to the quarterback, open up down the line and just get it out there as fast as you can to the sideline, (laughs) kind of like a long handoff. um, Right. And uh, just a lot of space up that sideline. I'll tell you a funny story though. Then in week seven, no, it must've been week six. I threw that same pass. And a guy from Gilmore picked it off and ran for six the other way. Because that was a dangerous pass, you know. If you didn't get that timing down. So we had actually thrown it. Mike Noonan caught it and took it for a touchdown in the first quarter. And then in the second half, kids stepped in front of it and took it the other way for six. I can still remember that feeling of diving to try and swipe his legs out from under him as he was going into our end zone 
and laying with my face in the grass, just looking at the grass in disgust until I heard Bresnicki say, Mike Snelling with the interception return for a touchdown. <laughs> <laughs> I can, I can. I the ground and got up and went back to the sideline. I can close my eyes right now and just imagine Brez's voice saying that <laughs> on a Saturday afternoon, right? Yep. That was the best. That was the best. I, as great as our stadium is now, I miss those Saturday afternoon games with the, uh, fans just standing around the outside of the field but guys today don't even realize we didn't have the no idea around the field yeah no idea we had the cinder track and people were just lined up around the sidelines yeah my dad will talk about uh some memorable stories of early to mid 80s at uh whether it's at our place or at one of the other private schools fields and there'd be parents firing up cigars maybe on the sideline or a dog would run out on on yeah the dog on the field happened at least once a year yeah and and not trained to uh retrieve the uh, kickoff tee just because it got loose (laughs) (laughs) and there was not really much of a presence from the school to be like hey get back into the stands it was just kind of like all access for everyone. The only decency and courtesy those fans showed is that they would stay on the outside of kind of the uh, coach's they box would, area. Yeah, they wouldn't come in the box, right? <laughs> but even then, they still did. They still did. <laughs> so as we're getting to the later uh, games in that season, we're going to start talking about some rivalry games. And I think one of the things that players from the 90s, 80s, 70s that um, that is a little different for them than the current crop or anyone I would say maybe since early 2000s is this shift to the conference and the CVC and creating great rivalries and competitions year in and year out with some of these schools, but maybe watering down the rivalry right. of some of our traditional likes a uh, similar school uh private in nature wra's university school gilmore and the occasional trip uh further you know to shady side or to kiski or columbus yep. academy detroit liggett things like that yeah um so i know that you i know that you are definitely a traditionalist in the sense that those rivalry games, it beginning and end, right? It begins and ends with that conversation. Uh, speak a little bit towards the common rivalries on our schedule back in the eighties and nineties. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I'm uh, as much as we are always preached to about week to week, play your opponent this week, definitely as seniors. And I, I can talk to the, the kids in the two classes above me, we expected to be undefeated when we went into the two big kind of games at the time, which were U.S. and WRA. Uh, Gilmore was a rival at the time, but it, they were on and off the schedule back then. They weren't a, a yearly game, uh, but the U.S. and WRA games were yearly events. Uh, like I said earlier, my my sophomore year, we beat university school on homecoming. Uh, used to be tied into fall family fair. 
Oh yeah. So the whole school was there. Like we were just talking about the, everybody was ringing around the field. It was a torrential downpour that whole game. Uh, the university school team had three future NFL players on it. Uh, the Hawken team was just a senior laden team of quality athletes. And we beat them 12 to seven. Uh, the next year as a junior, again, two undefeated teams. We will go over to university school on a Saturday for their homecoming. They had a, a running back by the name of Judd Garrett, who became a future NFLer. Um, and his brother, Jason, was the quarterback the year before. We were all pumped up. We, I remember in the, in the hallway, uh, one of my friends made a big sign, said Judd Busters. Uh, it was back when Ghostbusters was out as a popular movie. And it had all the defensive players' numbers on it. We were going to take down Judd Garrett. Well, Judd Garrett ran for like 300 yards against us. Uh, but we still had a real competitive game. It's 34 to 20 is what we lost. Uh, I know your dad had seen something in film and, and we started the game off with our backside post, which was one of our favorite plays back then. But we ran it out of a backside tight set. And Kevin Celeste lined up as a backside tight end. And we never had a tight end back then. We were always two splits in a slot. Uh, we were I slot that year, junior year. But so U.S. didn't know what to do. We, we had a backside tight end. We ran the long motion from the tailback. And all of a sudden, the safety ran with the motion. Nobody down the middle of the field. So first play of the game, Ben Henkel rolls out to the right. We practiced it all week. Hits Kevin right down the middle of the field, 80-yard touchdown. Uh, and we were all pumped up. But eventually, their better talent won out in that game. And they beat us 34 to 20. I was playing cornerback on that team and was on the receiving end of many blocks. Uh, they had a guy by the name of Jeff Brown who went on and played at University of Michigan uh, and then went to uh, played on, uh, was on a couple of practice squads in the NFL. They had a, a guard by the name of Steve Eilers who went on to play at Princeton. The two of them, would pull on basically a student body right every time they tossed the ball to Judd. And these guys would come around the corner and just bury me. Lead it, leading on the corner, right? Because yes, exactly. wide receivers cracking or trying one to run of them would lead yeah. on me. <laughs> that one would turn up on the strong safety, uh, the hawk back, and then Judd would go off for, to the races. Uh, and then so come back senior year, um, it was an interesting situation. Senior year, we were undefeated and U.S. was winless. Uh, first time in a long time that they really had a struggling team. and But they were still good. Uh, we were a little cocky uh, being the, the undefeated team. And we showed up and probably the second series of the game, uh, again, your dad had seen something. In their defense, we're in the run and shoot now. So we ran long motion one way and ran option to the fullback the opposite way. 
And lo and behold, we ran it twice early, picked up big yardage. We tried to run it a third time from our own 30 yard line or so. And they were blitzing the backside linebacker. And the end was crashing hard. The end was in my face. I turned to pitch it. Their blitzing linebacker picked off the pitch out and ran for a touchdown. Um, so consecutive weeks, by the way, I threw a pick <laughs> six to Gilmore. I threw a pick handoff to, to U.S. Uh, but we we persevered. We came back. We we uh, ended up winning that game 20 to 12, I believe. Um, and I ran that same option play right before halftime and they blitzed and I faked the pitch and turned it up and ran it in for my own touchdown, which was uh, probably one of my highlights. Every once in a while, I'll pull that video out and show it to my kid. And he, he just looks, ah, whatever. <laughs> Let's go back to that play. So you're coming down the line. No one obviously is immediately in your face. Is it playing a little cat and mouse down the line and faking a pitch and tucking it up and in, or is yep. it just, okay. Yep, definitely. Uh, so the, the backside end, uh, they weren't blitzing the backer, obviously. The backside end was kind of trying to play both sides. And I just gave it a little... I don't even think I did the ball fake. I think it was just a head fake. Okay. And he went for it and I cut back to the inside. I wasn't fleet of foot as a quarterback. I was, I was not an option quarterback. Uh, so for me to run one in, in that situation was, was pretty big for me. Oh, that's cool. I like that. So we're through the university game and that leaves us with how many on your schedule? Well, we always had the tough trip down to Hudson then. Um, we had to play two more games. Uh, we went down to Hudson. Everybody knows how tough it is to go to WRA. For two reasons. <laughs> One, they're usually pretty darn good. Yep. Um, and there might be a handful of PGs that are coming in and you're not prepared for it until, you know, couple weeks prior yep and then two the officiating over there i don't even know how to put it kindly uh is well, I, suspect. I got a couple good stories just from that game <laughs> we uh so it, we, we played a, it, like you said they were really tough really good team they had a huge offensive line um they they ran the ball pretty hard against us that game um, they went on a 20 play drive, 20 play drive. I still remember asking your dad after the game, whether somebody gets a zonk, cause we used to get a zonk for, for a 10, 10 play. play drive, right? <laughs> whether we would have gotten two zonks for a 20 play drive. So yeah, that, that doesn't happen in our 20, offense. <laughs> 20 play drive and mind you no hurry up at all. No, because the play was either coming in with a wide receiver from the sideline or the quarterback was going to the hash. Yep. Each yep. play. So that was probably a full quarter of time. Probably. And they were in the capital I. They had double tight capital I. And they ran that belly and that belly drive. And they just they had two tough running backs. And they just kind of moved the ball four or five yards at a time. 
all the way down the field. They got down to the four-yard line, first and goal. We stopped them. On uh, fourth down, they called Rob Peskin for offsides. After the play had happened, and the way that the official... You got to see how the play results first. (laughs) Yes, exactly. The way that the official explained it to your dad, Rob Peskin was a defensive end. And his stance with his arms out in front of him, his arms were in the neutral zone. His body was back behind, but his arms were out in the neutral zone. It's like he'd been lined up like that the whole game. Now you chose to call it right there. (laughs) So they get the ball back half the distance to the goal line. Now it's first and goal at the two. We stop him on three straight plays again. Fourth down, their fullback fumbles the ball into the end zone, and their big offensive tackle comes out of the pile with the ball. So they got a touchdown on that. So they run down the field in like 12 plays, and then they ran eight plays from the four-yard line in <laughs> before they finally scored. Uh, we uh, ended up winning the game, though. I know we had put in a, a – uh, what we call a sprint reverse where OJ ran in between the option pitch and caught the option pitch on a reverse. And we put in a sprint reverse pass that week where OJ got the ball on the pitch set up and threw a pass. Joe Nara caught in the end zone for a touchdown. And we won that game 20 to 13, um, maybe 21 to 13. But the another close game, happy to get away with it. Got back on the bus. We're riding home and doing our orangutans down to the river. And I remember getting off the bus and your dad and, and Gary were talking. And I think they had already found out that we, no matter what happened in week 10, we were not going to make the playoffs. So we went into week 10. We were playing Ledgemont, who was the one in eight team. So we weren't going to get points from them. Um, it was a fun week. We had a blast. We, we made sure to get Scott Hackenberg in the end zone. He was a senior receiver who hadn't gotten a touchdown pass yet. So your dad made sure uh, to get him a touchdown. We... Did a few other good things, and and the younger guys played most of the second half, uh, but that ended our season, and we we didn't even have that that option after the game to know that we were hopeful. We turned in our equipment, and the season was over. I had not heard that that uh, Gary and my dad knew that by the time you guys got back from Hudson, that it was probably. Um, mathematically eliminated which Um, is amazing to me too because if you think about it there were no cell phones we didn't have a laptop in the in the bus so the way the computer point um sort of the weekly release was a mailed stapled together copy yep and it had every division and region and you had to have someone smart enough on your staff or in the building to understand 
the formula and what went into it because people now they're spoiled because people like Joe Itell and all exactly. and, and these guys that are on social media or somewhere on the web, uh, Drew Pastor, that they've got it essentially Friday by midnight. They yep. already have it updated. And then yep. as it gets later in the season, they have all their projections and everything is mathematically worked out. So right. not a lot of surprises. But back well, then it was about getting it in the mail. And it was yeah. it was like a sacred document when it made it to my dad's office, I remember, because it was just like <laughs> day one, it looked good. Day two, it was all penciled up. It was folded and opened and manhandled <laughs> so many times that the thing looked already years old yeah well i i know another story to go along with that um first of all that wra game obviously was on a saturday so all those friday night games had already been your your dad and gary and probably merle davis was probably the the numbers guy they had probably put it all together yeah and already knew and they didn't tell us before the WRA game, obviously. Um, but fast forward to like maybe 91 when I had come back from college and I was helping on the, the varsity staff. I went out scouting on a Friday night with, I think with both Gary and Cliff and out in maybe the Youngstown area. I kind of remember going to Campbell Memorial to scout uh jfk JFK, one of the greater games that you had no association with right right great rivalry very Um, much mahoning valley uh tradition right there and so we had left cars at the high school campus and we came back and we went into the front office of the school that was like the only place that had a full-time computer at that point and your dad's on the computer checking some different like newspapers like local newspapers of a team down in east palestine or wherever to see whether they had won and then like you said he had his sheet and he was writing numbers down oh they're gonna get six first level points for this and this team lost so they won't get the second level points. And we got these many points. And he had figured it out that night too. After a night of scouting, we're sitting in the dark in the uh, front <laughs> office of the high school trying to calculate whether we were going to make the playoffs in 91. I could do a full hour just talking about stories and experiences from scouting. <laughs> scouting trips. Um, yeah, just the amount of laughs on the way down, great games, yep. uh, information gathered from being able to see someone in person, yep. as opposed to waiting for, you know, that Sunday, uh, film exchange or whatever. Um, a lot of good memories of going on those scouting trips. I, I tell you what, as a, a young guy right out of college, no family, no responsibilities yet. That was like the highlight of my week. Think about how much you learn as a young coach too, with veteran members on the staff and seeing just for a moment, because you don't get to see it when we're 
coaching in our games, but when right. you're watching someone else and you're able to just sort of almost take that step back and see yep. someone like analyze it and communicate it. And then it's like, it's, it's pretty special. I'll give you a perfect example of that, Dan. Gary and I went scouting together once. I think it was uh, uh, St. Thomas Aquinas. And they ran a short trap with their front side guard on the belly. And he noticed that that front side tackle reduced his split by a ton. So he could cover for the pulling guard. And he said, make sure you write that down in the notes. <laughs> so, okay, I wrote it down. And sure enough, you could see that every time. And Gary, when he was putting together the defensive game plan, talked about that. And those guys were ready. They didn't run that belly very well against us <laughs> that next week. There's a couple of things that needed to happen on a um, on a scouting trip. You needed to try to get away from the walk through Friday afternoon early enough to get to wherever you're going. Yeah. And you needed to try to get to the field so that you could see some of pregame and grab dinner at that point. Yeah. You needed to be able to be at the gate next to the field to see the team walk by either before or at halftime going right. in or coming out because you needed to size them up. It was yeah. never about having that sheet with the roster and saying, Oh, so-and-so six four two fifteen. It was about being there and standing and sizing them up with your eyes. Sure. And then at some point in the game, you had to spend at least a couple of series in the end zone so you could see the action from behind and see what the spacing of the formation, specifically yes. tackle to tackle or tight end to tackle, yes. was. And whether it's old school or not, Gary and my dad were very much see it with your eye and not see it on film. Right. Film was great. And they got a lot from that, whether it was, you know, the old, uh, turning, uh, turning film projected on the, uh, the 16 on the wall. Yeah. 16. Whatever yeah. Whatever, whatever millimeter it was, but put projecting it on the wall <laughs> and then going to the VHS and super VHS yeah. and then the DVD, like that was all great. And that was so useful, but for them, it was the eyesight test. Yeah. Yeah, to this day, I still, when I go to NFL games, I prefer to sit behind the end zone. Such a better view of the game. Agree. Um, so let's transition as we are to you as a coach now. Is there a game or is there a moment or a player or something that kind of sticks out during your time as coach and let's focus initially on your help with the varsity program. I mean, there's a ton of things that stick out for sure. Picking one's going to be challenging. I, I remember a game down at Perry the year that they put in their turf when Don Kelly went wild. 93. Yep. Yeah. That, that was an awesome game to be a part of. Um, I remember homecoming the one year when, when St. Thomas Aquinas came up to Hawken. 93 as well. Was that the same year? That was 93 as well. That game was epic. Yeah, that was a great game. What a hard-fought battle. 
I remember the game against, uh, oh, I'm going to draw a blank, North Robinson. Colonel Crawford. Colonel Crawford. In that, the was, snow. that was week 10 of my senior year. And uh, as we are recording this, we're expected to get a snowstorm. And maybe, maybe we'll get enough to uh, replicate what, what our varsity <laughs> field looked like that game. I can remember, I think it was... Uh, I'm gonna draw a blank on the kid's name. Was Justin Fleming on your team? No, he would have been the year before. So that was he was on the '94 team. The Colonel Crawford game was Week Ten of '95. That was my senior year. It might have been. Who was the running back on your team? Uh, Daryl Butler was our fullback, and then the running backs uh, were Billy Brown and Brian Basic was a slot. I think it might have been uh, Butler who ran a sweep and came, got tackled face first into the snow. And he came up and the snow was just packed in his uh, face mask. And I I was surprised he could breathe. So this game got delayed a couple of hours. And the only reason it probably got delayed and not canceled was because of the amount of uh, travel that this, that Colonel Crawford had. Yeah. So the, coaches and then tom bryan the athletic director got together and we're like let's delay it and let's see what we can do so someone was out because we are during our delay we stayed in the school building and they basically shoveled the perimeter of the field yeah the goal lines and then i think (laughs) the 40s where kickoffs were going to happen but the rest of the field looked like just a snow blanket and to get an idea of the depth of the snow when the game first started, it was not a run. It was like a gallop because you had to yeah. high knee hoof it through. <laughs> and it wasn't until after maybe the first couple of series that it started to pack down. And there were some areas that you could accelerate a little bit more, but punts, if punts weren't fielded, they yeah. would just, dis- they would legitimately disappear under the right. snow a couple right. of inches. <laughs> And that was that was the first overtime game in program history. Really? It I was. did not realize that. Yeah. Yep. That's so, awesome. So yeah, that's uh <laughs> that's a pretty good memory there. Well, I also remember before that game, I was driving out there coming down Gates Mills Boulevard, and I ran into not literally, but I I saw the Colonel Crawford bus. And they were lost because Mayfield Hill was closed. And so I had them follow me out to the campus because I knew how to go down through Old Mill and come up that way. And I mean, I don't even know if they had any clue how they were going to get there. Zero. Because there was no GPS, obviously. (laughs) Maybe a triptych from uh, AAA highlighted. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) So yeah, that was a fun experience. And, and, and really there were, I mean, there were a lot of great players through there. I remember the uh, playoff game against Warren JFK uh, the first time uh, when it was just a, a litany of mistakes right at the end of the first half Yeah, where we, we spiked the ball because we thought the, we could intentionally spike it. 
because that was a rule in the NFL, but it wasn't a rule. Hadn't yet. made its way down to high school, yes. which years so later you're like penalty, and yeah. we were driving to score, and then they all of a sudden we we had to give the ball back, and they got it with like 20 seconds left, and they completed a a drag pass, and our linebacker hit their guy as he was going out of bounds, and they threw a 15 yarder. So it was a defensive penalty, which extended the half then. So they ran a play with no time left on the clock and scored right before half. We never really recovered from that. No, that Warren JFK team. Jacquez Payne caught a oh, the belly pass jump. right down yeah. the middle of the jump pass. Yeah. Um, and that, that was right before the spiking, I think. That JFK team was so ridiculously talented. Yeah. And stacked. And that team didn't win state. It wasn't no. until the following year that we played them again. They beat us again, both games at Field High School. I was just about to say, yeah. And yeah. Uh, that team then rolled through all the way and won state. Speaking of Field High School, one of the other kind of great memories I have of Saturday afternoon football. And this was after I had moved down to coach the middle school and my first group of middle school kids was now on the varsity and so i was there for the saturday afternoon i still helped out on the sidelines during games but i was the the middle school head coach your dad had booked field high school for the opening game of the season they showed up on a saturday afternoon in all black uniforms they were like dropping like flies and our kids were in such great condition used to the heat august 20th or whatever it was field high school had like they were down to 15 players by the end of the game it seems like because they were all dropping from the heat so you went to uh you went to a uh, middle school coaching uh, memory so i'm gonna i'm gonna bring one out as well let's go to the 2001 season which was my first year uh, teaching and coaching. And I was a member of the middle school staff with you and Merle Davis. Yeah. And uh, we take a little trip out to Berkshire. <laughs> and you know where I'm going with this. So yes, if, you, if you want, I can keep, I can keep telling the story or you could take over if you'd like. Uh, <laughs> Dan, there's only two times I would say that I have really lost my cool on the sideline. And that was one of them. Uh, the first one I will say happened on a Saturday afternoon coaching against university school in the middle school. And they had just had a, a big long run and they, we tackled the guy at like the one yard line. And they had been basically tackling our defensive end every time they ran a sweep. And I had been talking to the official about it. And I, at that moment, decided, hey, if I'm going to get a 15-yard penalty, <laughs> might as well do it when they're at the one-yard line. So yeah. it's only half the distance. <laughs> but smart. anyways, the one you're referring to happened out at Berkshire. And it, it, anytime you went out into Geauga County during those days for middle school football, you were liable to end up with anything as your officials. The experience was was never set up to be a good one because by the time we got excused from our class 
at Lyndhurst and made it to whatever destination, Deep Geauga County. Yep. The the crew was basically like, hey, you guys ready in about 10 minutes? And it's like, we yeah. don't even have cleats on yet. Right. So there right. was there was that that you're playing behind. And then what you're about to speak to is the uh, the, the quality of uh, stripes that are assigned. So the official on our side of the field was didn't call anything all day, didn't talk, didn't do anything. Collecting Very a paycheck. Quiet. Yeah, I think he was like counting down the time. So I remember Malcolm Peyton Cook was a good little athlete, but he wasn't the biggest kid. He came on a sweep to our sideline, gets tackled, couple yard gain. He's getting up from the field to go back to the huddle. And a kid from Berkshire comes over and just clocks him. The latest of any late hit I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> and we had been talking to the official. Merle had actually been pretty vocal um, about different things going on in the game. And I was trying to calm Merle down. But when this hit happened, <laughs> I, I, I had it. I, I couldn't deal with it anymore. And I got in this guy's ear. And I started screaming at him about how could he let that happen? Whether he wasn't going to call penalties all day was, was regardless. His job was to protect the kids. And that was a play that a kid could have gotten very seriously hurt. For sure. And he basically said, well, nobody got hurt, coach. We're, we're good. Let's play. Let's get this game moving. And at one point, I think you and I had been talking and one of us had made the offhanded comment of, I don't think this guy even brought a flag to the field. <laughs> it was so, not. Usually you will see a little bit of yellow yes. draped over the waistband. Yes. Exactly. Um, so I, I decided to go with that thought, not knowing whether it was true or not. And I started to really beat him up mentally about the fact that he did not have a flag. And I said, I want you to show me that you have a flag and throw a 15-yard penalty on me. He ends up walking to the middle of the field to get the head official. Hold on, right before he gets and throw a flag on me. Right before he has to do that, though, he's ghost pulling at what he <laughs> thinks is a flag. And he's coming up empty like he's starting a lawnmower. <laughs> To which then you are talking, he has to go to the other guy on his crew and borrow. <laughs> I, that's that's a better memory. I don't even remember it that way. Oh, yes. I thought the other guy threw the flag. He actually borrowed the flag. He had to walk over and basically oh. get that guy to pull his flag to throw it. Oh, my gosh. That's one of the better stories. And, you know, the funny thing about that, and you know this as well as me, that group of eighth graders on that team, Ralston and Gottlieb and Malcolm Peyton Cook, and even, uh, uh, was it Jordan Haas? Hayden. Hayden Haas. Um, when those guys get together, they still talk about that. Like it happened yesterday. Or... Yes. There's two or three stories that Johnny Gottlieb will talk about I know that's one of them. 
Yep. There's another one that happened in a, a middle school baseball game <laughs> that I don't live down. Um, but that goes back to that kind of thing that we were talking about earlier. Those guys are still great buddies. When they get together, they talk about those things. They talk about those things with us who were their coaches. Um, and now they're all, all very successful people in the world. So that's right, Aaron. So the, the purpose of this podcast and, you know, when I decided that we were going to call it, I went down to the river. I went down to the river being that first line of a tang, which is a post game story where you're basically in a rhythmic pattern. You're chanting out a story or an event from the game. Right. It's, it's the stories that we all share that we get to um, live through, but then we get to revisit over and over again. And the groups that are really, really close and really tight, and that, that's that group you were just talking about, they do it often, the frequency yeah. of it, and it lives, and they, they're closer for it. Yep, yep. Let's take a pause for this week's Ask Coach segment. This week's question, what is the most memorable play you remember from your coaching career? Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, there, you know, when, when, you, when you're coaching for 40, 46 years, I guess I was involved in this, uh, this stuff. Uh, when, you, when you coach for that long, there's, there's a lot of things that could go, and I could go on and on about plays and individuals, but um, uh, just a couple that uh, were uh, very impressive uh, or strike a message, and they, they come back from that uh, – Back in 1981, I remember that uh, I don't recall the team. It was out east here, but we were playing them on a Friday night. Uh, we hadn't played them every year, but uh, it was a big game. And uh, I just remember that uh, when we pulled into town, that uh, the guy that was supposed to give us directions to the locker room and the field and all that kind of stuff prior to the game, he said, uh, hey, uh, we just want you to know you're in football country now, so get ready for a rough night. And uh, we went out and played the game. And... Uh, it was it was a close game, and we were winning, but they got the ball late in the fourth quarter, and they just drove running the ball. They just pounded it, and we just we just couldn't stop them. And they were driving, driving, driving. They got down to the five yard line, and I guess the coach decided he was going to change things up, so he tried a play action pass and tried to dump it into the end zone. Lenny slowed off, intercepted it. We got the ball out there on the twenty took a couple plays and we won the game and it was, uh, it was a, it was a great feeling after, uh, after the comments from that uh, gentleman at the beginning of the game, that was one, uh, probably the other one that sticks out from that year is, is, uh, just, uh, playing us in 1981. And, uh, I remember, and, and Lenny, Lenny writes, uh, writes about this, that, uh, there was a, a time where we had formations and, he was a slot back and he came out on the wrong side and it kind of messed us up that week. And he was all upset and everything like that. And I said, well, you know, that that's okay. And we, we said, uh, I, I think what we'll do is we'll put in a formation and it will be, instead of being slot, right, it'll be Len slot, right. And then he goes to the left by mistake uh, in that formation. And so we put that in based on, uh, on a little mix up that we had the week before. And, uh, we we're playing us and, uh, we're in the fourth quarter, and we 
got to drive and we're behind and we got to drive and uh, we go into Lent formation a couple times and their guys back there were totally confused. They're, they're trying to match up who's supposed to go where and everything like that. And we uh, drove down, got a touchdown and won the game against, did, did I mention that it was against U.S.? Uh, that was That was pretty sweet. And now back to the interview. Couple of last questions here, a little bit quicker in nature. Um, do you have a favorite tradition? My my absolute favorite tradition, which not many people understand, was the planting of the dirt. That was, and obviously with turf, it's a different story. Yeah. But man, when we would take that little pot which I still don't even know the origin of the pot. Do you know the origin of that? When did George Roby show up at Hawkins? Do you know? Was he there he when you was, were? Yeah, oh, he was there well before. So I, I think, and I'm not sure about the original, but at one point, a replacement, because we, we went through two or three or four different options yeah. because part of the tradition, which was, kind of a stupid responsibility is that one of the seniors would pick like a sophomore to carry it onto the bus. And every handful of years, one of them would like drop it. And it would, it would, cr- it would crack and you'd try to like glue it back together. And then it was like, Nope, that thing's done. So I think what would happen is my dad would uh, get like a project, like a, you know, just a clay little pot that either Roby or, one of the students threw right. threw together, put through the kiln, and never claimed it or picked it up, and so yeah. it just got adopted as the uh, nice claiming the field vessel for the. <laughs> so, so as that tradition goes, just as a, a quick explanation for anyone who's drawn a blank on that one, when we had road games, we would take from a undisclosed location. We'll leave it at that. Um, from our field. And we would travel with this dirt from our field and we called it claiming the field. So we would get off the bus and we would uh, stretch the legs out and sort of, you know, get in a little bit more physical mindset after just riding on the bus. And then we would claim the end zones of the field we were about to play on. And each kid, we would go grade by grade, starting youngest up would get a little bit of that dirt and they would place it somewhere in the end zone. And you know who the young guys are? Cause they would just like take a couple steps away from whoever was passing it out and put it down. Right. And you knew who the older guys were or the superstitious guys, because they yep. had a absolute robotic yep. system to doing it. You'd see guys like stepping off heel to toe from like yep. a corner pylon. You'd see guys, looking up to make sure they were underneath the crossbar and then take X, <laughs> X amount of steps. And so you would place said dirt on in the end zone and then travel down to the far end and repeat. And it always ended with one player, usually selected by the captains, who was a usually a player with a lot of energy. Yeah, be, wired a little different sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah where are you going to place it? And uh, everybody would gather around and witness the last planting of uh, a little bit of hawk and turf on the visiting field. What those visiting schools must have thought when they looked on the field and sort of tried to interpret what was going on. Yep. 
Yep. Agreed. Agreed. <laughs> Quick two minute drill. All right. So I'm going to throw two minutes on the phone and we are going to get through a couple of uh, a little bit more rapid fire questions. All right. So spend as much time as you want on them. All right. So here we go. Ready? Uh, any significance to your Jersey number? No, not at all. I, I got 16. My brother actually wore 16 as a sophomore. And when he moved up uh, to 32 as a junior and senior, because uh, Josh, Josh Walters had graduated. No, Jeff Walters. Um, I took 16 just because it was a good quarterback number. Yeah. Uh, Jim Plunkett was the only guy I knew that wore it. And he <laughs> nice. might have been like the reigning Super Bowl MVP at the time. Uh, could you diagram or how many plays could you diagram from your senior year playbook right now? All of them. All of them. Yes. Did you have a favorite? Oh, the slant. Just a quick slant play. Oh, no three step. Just get it attacked down the line. Usually the linemen in front were just diving at shins and cutting. Exactly. Our slant was meant to look, the first two steps were meant to look like the option. Yep. It was such a great play. How many of those do you think your senior year you completed? Oh, easily <laughs> 40. That's, Between that's that and the out, you, you didn't know where to play our receivers. We ran the out and the slant so well that it was hard to defend it. That's awesome. Uh, what makes fudge good? <laughs> uh, for me, and I, I don't think they can do it anymore, was when somebody put walnuts in it. <laughs> that was the only variation for so long. Yep. You had traditional fudge chocolate, and then occasionally someone yep. put walnuts in. Now they're just doing crazy stuff the past 15 years. I, I tell you, the other thing that it's kind of different, I always liked it when it was still a little bit frozen. Okay. Still a little bit hard, not melty. So if you're going to do that, and we're out of time now, but if you're, <laughs> you're going to do that, it has to be pre-cut. Yep. Because otherwise, otherwise you have no chance being out at, at the field. <laughs> You have no chance out at the field to get that thing cut. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Aaron, we're going to finish with one uh, one final uh, question for you here, and we're going to talk about um, just any phrase or saying that you've learned through your experiences um, with the Hawk and football program that you apply either to a professional or personal aspect? Hmm. That's a good one, Dan. Um, there's, there's probably a bunch that I've used over the years. Uh, probably the one I use most frequently though is get better, get worse. Um, I use that with my, my high school athletes all the time that if they're just showing up to practice, they're getting worse. Don't be satisfied. Basically. Uh, I use that with my high school students. Uh, you come to class, especially in this day of zoom. If you're just zooming in just to be there, you're, you're wasting time. 
Yeah. Coach Stevenson, the current head coach, um, he has a great little comment he makes and he's talking about, are you present or are you committed? You know, yeah. just, just being yeah. present is not good enough. Right. Right. You're not just checking off the box that you're there. You Correct. actually have to accomplish something while you're there. Definitely. Well, Aaron, this was a great conversation. I appreciate you joining and uh, sharing a bunch of your stories. Um, I definitely know that I learned something through this uh, conversation. I'm sure the listener uh, did as well. So I appreciate you taking this trip down to the river. And uh, thank you, Aaron Brandt. Hey, Dan, thanks. Uh, appreciate all you're doing here. This is a great idea. Uh, and I know you're as ingrained in Hawking football as anybody. So you're the right man to do this job and keep us all connected. Um, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to listening to some of the other guests you have on later. So thanks for putting in the time and effort on this. Kind words, Aaron. Thank you. And uh, it's it's my pleasure because it's about all of the individuals over all of the years that have had some footprint on it. Yeah. And yeah. the accumulation of that. So appreciate, appreciate it, man. It. Yep. Take care, Aaron. Thanks for spending time with us today. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Tell a friend and spread the word. And until the next episode, like my dad always says, good night, Irene.